Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Ben Reuter. Ben is an exercise physiologist teaching at a regional university. He believes movement should be treated as a lifestyle, not just as an activity, because movement is part of what makes life complete. In the episode, Ben shares why you should think about movement as a lifestyle rather than just another activity to do, tips for figuring out the best movement type and duration for you, how to still move when it's freezing, rainy, or snowy, and more. But before we get to the episode, I want to share one of my favorite resources with you, thrivemarket.com. I don't know about you, but I used to think eating healthy meant I had to spend a lot of time and money at the grocery store until I discovered Thrive Market. Thrive is an online grocery shopping platform that's essentially a mix of Costco, Whole Foods, and Amazon. Since Thrive delivers groceries directly to your door, they're able to cut out all middle people and heavily discount their inventory. When I buy groceries on Thrive versus going to my local supermarket, I save at least $20 per order, and I'm able to fill up my cart from the comfort of my couch. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash Thrive Market, or just click through the link in the show notes. All right, it's time to hear from Ben. Enjoy. I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Ben. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm always happy to talk about movement. I am excited to talk about this. I work with clients as a nutrition and weight loss coach. And the way I describe to them, you know, you've got to get nutrition in line and movement and stress and sleep. But there's always going to be one area that's kind of tougher. And for me, that's the movement area. It's just not something that comes naturally to me. I had another guest on that once descri described herself as indoorsy. And I totally related to that. I am very indoorsy. I'm not this outdoorsy type of person. But I know, and I'm sure a lot of people listening, we all know that movement is something we need to do. And some of us, I think, have to be more intentional about it or work on our mindset about it more than others. And I'm one of those people. So I can't wait to hear what you say today. I'm sure a lot will click with me and I know I'm going to learn a lot. Can you start off by telling us a bit about your background and specifically what led you to become an exercise physiologist? Sure. I grew up in a small town in upstate New York. When I say upstate, for your listeners who are baseball fans, I grew up for most of my childhood about 20 miles from the Baseball Hall of Fame. Oh, 
uh, some very small schools, and I actually grew up on a dairy farm. <clears throat> and before I entered high school, you know, I was the usual kid playing, doing whatever. My dad said, "Okay, you can play one sport, but I need your help on the farm for the for the other two seasons." It's like, well, soccer's the first sport, so I'll play soccer. About halfway through the season, he goes, "You know, the schools really depends on you. It's a small school. I had twenty people in my graduating class to give you an idea." Uh, you should probably play basketball too. And about halfway through basketball, I was like, well, you should probably play baseball. So I ended up having the opportunity by going to a small school to do all kinds of things. I was able to play three sports. I was able to be in band. Um, at one point in time, I was in the musical. So it was a great experience. I had all these neat opportunities. Uh, and I went to college. I had had an ankle injury playing basketball and gone to a sports medicine clinic. And the gentleman who owned it uh, said, you know, if you're interested in this sort of thing, you should become a physical therapist. Well, to me, physical therapists work with old people. And I didn't want to do that. I went to Gettysburg College, which is a small college in central Pennsylvania. And entering, I knew I either wanted to major in marine biology or I wanted to be an athletic trainer because that's what this guy had done. And that is what that's what allowed me to rehab my ankle sprain and return to play. And it just turned out by luck of the draw, my first biology class was plant biology, and I absolutely hated it. <laughs> I, I loved the teacher, but I hated it. And to be a bio major, I would have had to take, I think, two more plant biology classes. And, you know, as an 18-year-old, it's like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and also, just by the luck of the draw, I, was a work, I had a work study as part of my financial aid, and my work study was assigned to be in the athletic training room. So... I was an athletic training student and I was a physical education major um, with an emphasis in allied health. So I was not in the teacher track. I, we had what was at that point in time, an internship program. And I graduated and had the opportunity to play junior varsity soccer there for two years, which means I wasn't very good. <laughs> but also, I mean, the advantage of being around all these athletes is lots of pickup basketball. I had some friends I ran with and I just... Movement, I don't know what it was because neither of my parents were athletes. It was just normal. Graduated, went to grad school, and somewhere in my senior year in college, I got the idea that I wanted to do triathlons. Now, I was not a swimmer. I had done advanced beginners in the American Red Cross swim pro swimming programs as a child, and I took advanced beginners twice because I never advanced to intermediates. I wasn't going to drown, but I wasn't going to be fast. Wait, just one second. It's called advanced beginners. Yes, there was That's begin funny. beginner swimming, advanced beginners, and then intermediate. Oh, I like that advanced. So beginners. one 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 summer, <laughs> we uh, we spent three weeks visiting my sister and I spent three weeks visiting uh, our grandparents, and they had a, they had a Red Cross swim lessons, which was three weeks. We took that. We came home, and the same courses were being offered. My sister progressed from advanced beginners to intermediate. And I did not have the skill or wherewithal, or I don't know what it was. I took advanced beginners again. And, you know, I splashed around pools and things. So when I graduated from, from uh, college, I did a couple of duathlons, which were running and biking events. And then when I was in graduate school in Norfolk, Virginia, I did my first triathlon with an open ocean swim, which I later learned was probably not the brightest thing. But the great thing about that is I had started swimming with some master swimmers, which is where adults go to swim once they finish any college or, or youth swimming. And I knew I wasn't going to ground. I wasn't very fast. So it just became the norm to run, to bike, to swim. A lot of it was recreational. A lot of it was, you know, some great conversations. Um, 
got a master's in athletic training and started working as an athletic trainer in sports medicine clinics, still did all of this, but I had uh, really good professors in my undergrad degree. And for any of your listeners who are sports science geeks uh, and sports nutrition geeks, I was fortunate enough to have a gentleman who has since passed on, Dr. Mel Williams, who's kind of one of the fathers of sports nutrition as my research methods and sports nutrition professor in graduate school. So this is the guy who he did some of the first studies on blood doping. He was a runner and he was just a a wonderful man and a wonderful teacher. Just, you know, this is somebody in undergrad. I had read his books and to be able to actually talk to him. And he said to me once, he said, you know, you should get your doctorate. I think you'd really be good at it. You know, you're curious and graduated from a master's degree, as I said, worked in sports medicine clinics and had another gentleman who was my mentor, Dr. Jeff Chandler. Um, who was the director of research at the clinic I was working with. And this is for any of your listeners who really want to know how people can have an impact on your lives. Jeff and his wife became very good friends, still are. And he said, oh, you know, you want to do some writing, you want to get your research, you know, where do you want to go and get your doctorate? So I listed eight or nine programs. Some of them were big names. And I put down a couple of programs that were pretty close. And he said then, not in a cruel way at all. Okay, realistically, what ones do you think you can get into? Because some schools, when you go for a PhD, they're basically taking the cream to the cream. You know, mm-hmm. you, there are people who they've got five or six publications as an undergraduate, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that narrowed it down. And I ended up selecting uh, Auburn University, which happened to be where he had gotten his doctorate and was there and continued to run, continued to bike, continued to swim. Later found out that Jeff told my major professor um, you know, if Ben's ever a jerk to deal with, send him out for a run or a bike ride because he's a lot easier to deal with when he gets his exercise in, <laughs> which at the time I thought was kind of funny when I learned about it. But now I can absolutely see this. My met, And I'm sure we'll get into this more. My mental outlook is so much better when I can do some sort of movement. Um, continued to move there. Went to grad school or sorry, <laughs> went and got a job at a college in Florida, moved up here in the early 2000s. Um, still running bike. It was just the normal. It wasn't something that I considered special or different. It's just what I enjoyed doing. Um, Mm -hmm. And in about 2013, I began a four or five year odyssey adventure or whatever of having about nine retinal surgeries and 15 procedures overall. I had an eye that all of my life had been extremely nearsighted and the retina just decided that it was thin enough and it was going to start detaching and tearing (laughs) So it turned into a physics problem. Along at the same time, uh, one of my Labradors, you and I were talking a little bit before we started recording. I'm a big dog and cat person. One of my Labradors developed idiopathic epilepsy. And suddenly what I took for granted, you know, going out and running when I wanted to or hiking when I wanted to or going for a bike ride when I wanted to, there were times when I couldn't do that because my retinal surgeon would say, look, you can walk, but I don't want you to run because of the jarring. I don't want you on a road bike because if you get hit by a car, you're going to have some serious problems with this eye repair. So I quickly realized that, boy, movement is really important to me. I enjoy it. I also saw with the Labrador, who unfortunately has since uh, passed on, but I had her for four years after she was diagnosed with epilepsy, um, which eventually she had to be put down because it was uncontrolled despite numerous medications. But I remember when she was first diagnosed, I said to her neurologist, I said, you know, what can I do with her? Because, you know, we we walk, we run, we do what she wants to do. She loves to move. 
And the uh, neurologist, yes, my dog had a neurologist, said she can do whatever she wants to do. About six months later, she comes in for a checkup. The uh, neurologist said, I don't know what you're doing with this dog, but keep doing it because given the amount of medication she's on, her heart rate's lower, her lungs are clear, she's clearly happy. You know, this is going to be a struggle with her, but you're doing something right because I, ha I don't think she should be doing this well given the medication. She should have some muscle weakness. And kind of it just it morphed from what I took as this is normal to, wow, this is really important to me. Um, started a couple of podcasts with my girlfriend, which I'm sure we'll get into, and just accidentally on purpose, maybe I thought of it on a run or a hike, which is when a lot of my best thinking comes, you know, move, we, we should treat movement as a lifestyle, not an activity. Because yeah. if you talk to any people that you know who are older or aging, one of their biggest fears is not being able to take care of themselves. And a lot of that is because what we're doing now is going to have an influence on what we do 15 years, 20 years, 30 years. My mother, unfortunately, has passed on. She was not very active. Um, my dad is still, knock on wood, going strong and high 80s. And he is much more active. He still rides a bike. He's never been an athlete, but he's always enjoyed moving. And I really realized that given the profession I'm in, and I just call it the movement profession, and we can go everything from you know what you and I do up to the physical medicine physician, the orthopedic surgeon who does the surgery and cleans out your knee so you can keep moving, even if it's you know playing with your grandchildren. We haven't done a good job because we've made it so difficult. You know, you can look at the statistics and you can say there's about 20, 25 percent of the U.S. population that moves or exercises on a regular basis. Yeah. And I think, I don't know when this is going to air, but we're, we're uh, doing the recording, you know, the third, third day, I got to look at my computer, the third of January. And if you go to into gyms now, they're probably extremely packed. Everybody's got that new year's resolution. And then, you know, go in in six weeks and there'll be half the number of people because they get frustrated or they don't understand what to do or, you know, the social media, the good thing and the bad thing about social media is there's a lot of information out there. It can be good, but it can be bad. Mm -hmm. So I guess in a roundabout way, my movement uh, story is it came from somebody who just was fortunate enough to enjoy movement to now I really treat it as, as a lifestyle. It's something I do most days consciously. I don't think of it as a workout, although obviously some of the things are workout. I just enjoy doing it. And when I miss a day or two, I don't feel as, as if I enjoy life as much, if that makes sense. And I know... I am exceedingly fortunate for being somebody like that. So if I can blabber or gab to other podcasters or things that we do on our podcast or some of the videos we do, and somebody takes one piece of information and go, ooh, that really helps, then it's kind of like, okay, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, for sure. I like how you phrase it as a lifestyle, not an activity. It's kind of the same work I do with clients about we're creating a lifestyle around nutrition. It's not just some diet you're going to be on for 30 days and then stop it. Kind of same as that gym metaphor you used. How do you get into that mindset or how do you like, I don't know, are there, what are some tricks that you have used maybe to help people get into that mindset who don't find that movement comes as naturally as it does for you, like myself? <laughs> A couple of things. First, to just to sh to a, a quick story to demonstrate, you know, how it really has become ingrained. 
Um, about six or seven years ago, I was speaking at a conference uh, in Washington, D.C., and a friend of mine from Auburn University, who I hadn't seen in 16 years, was there stationed at the Pentagon. And we had kept in touch with Facebook and, and messages. And he says, you know, hey, I'm running at 530 in the morning uh, on Friday. You don't speak. Show up and run with me. And I showed up and I ran with him. And it was literally like it wasn't 15 or 16 years. It was we just run the day before. Similar conversations, similar paced. A couple of years ago, uh, another good friend of mine from Auburn um, had retired to Salida, Colorado. I went out and visited him and his wife. And over the course of five days, we exercised about 25 hours. Now, I'm not saying that to brag, but it's like, well, here's this mountain. You want to climb, you want to climb a 14er? Sure. Now, I don't do real well at elevation, but I enjoyed it. Um, and it was just, it was the natural. So I would say, how do you get into that? First of all, I think is recognizing the value of movement. Like I don't necessarily enjoy spending a lot of time indoors lifting weights. I do enjoy doing some lifting, but I do some of it because it allows me to do, to do the things that I really enjoy. So some people are solo exercises. I, I don't think you would find a single one of your clients where you said, you know, exercise is good for you or movement, whatever we want to term it making your body move more than sitting. I don't think any of your clients are going to say, Brooke, you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> They're all going to agree with you. Yeah. But how do you make it a priority? Well, first of all, is accepting that what you're doing today is going to have an influence on you 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. I've joked around on podcasts before. I want to live to be 105. I'm 55 now. People say, why do you want to be live to be 105? It's like, because there's so many things I want to do. And the two stories or the two juxtapositions that, that really have emphasized this, when my parents were first married, there was a lady in their church who was in her 80s. She fell and she broke her hip. This was in the 1960s, late 1950s. What do they do then? They put people to bed. She lived another 15 or 20 years, no dementia. Can you imagine if I said to you, Brooke, you've got, you're going to live for another 15 years. You're going to be mentally acute but you're not going to be able to do anything. You're going to be in bed. Yeah. That's kind of, whoa, that's a real serious. I mean, and there are people who have accidents and end up needing to use a wheelchair and some of them become wheelchair athletes or stay active and some of them don't. And I mean, that's, that's a whole nother thing. Um, juxtaposition to that, I used to tell when I taught a health class in a college in Florida, 80 some year old man who had done, started running when he had retired in the 60s and ended up doing a couple of Ironman distance triathlons, went out on a Labor Day or Memorial Day for a bike ride on the Pinellas Trail, which is a rails to trails um, that runs through Tampa and along the west coast of Florida, dropped dead of a massive stroke while on the bike. So I'm talking to these 18 and 19 year old students and I say, isn't that great? And they're looking at me and going, who the heck is this guy? He's gotta be macabre. <laughs> he's like, he's excited that this guy died. I'm not excited that he died. Think about this. He got up that morning, he's like, oh, I like to ride my bike. Went for a bike ride, tough on his family and friends, but he didn't have that time going, God, I wish I could do this. So by making movement a lifestyle and saying, this is a change in thought process. This is why I'm going to do. I'm not going to work out. I'm not going to exercise. I'm going to make movement more of a priority. And we can talk more about this. That's step one. Step two is figuring out how do I like to move? Not only activities, but also types of exercise. You mentioned you like indoors. Um, 
I would say the worst type of movement for me to put me in a mentally good mood is to go to a yoga class. I am not knocking yoga. I am <laughs> knocking yoga for me. I have. I, I think the best line is somebody I interviewed once described said, "Yeah, I went to a yoga class once. I'm okay." <laughs> you know, and it is good for some people. I know some people love it. It's like great. Other people don't. Some people, um, you know, love to walk. Other people don't. Find something or some things plural. Because that allows you to have a level of health so that you can do other things. You never know when you may go with your husband and your husband may say, hey, let's go stand up paddleboarding in this lagoon. Oh, that sounds kind of fun. And if you've got that health where you can do that. The second thing with finding movement is figuring out what type of person you are. Are you somebody who's social, who likes to do it with large groups of people? Or are you somebody who's more individual? Like I tell people, I love to, to run, bike, hike with my girlfriend and my dogs. If I get more than about three people, I get antsy. And a gentleman who's into Tai Chi and meditation that I interviewed for one of my cod podcasts, and I said, you know, Don, I can't meditate. I was like, me, me sitting there indoors, he goes, when you go outside and you go in the woods with your dogs, that's your meditation. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's your, that's your time. Hey there, health investor. I hope you're enjoying the episode. Just popping in here for a quick minute to share an exciting opportunity with you. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in sustainable weight loss. If you've been struggling to lose weight and actually keep it off, I'd love to connect with you in my group or one-on-one coaching program. Unlike restrictive, hard-to-follow diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed habits and an everything-in-moderation mindset so that you can lose weight permanently feel completely in control of your cravings, have steady energy throughout the day, and stick with healthy habits long-term. To learn more about my coaching programs and apply to work with me, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram at thehealthinvestment. Now, back to the episode. So I think to summarize, number one, Accept that this is something that you should be doing if you want to have a good quality of life, not only now, but 20 years down the line. And number two, figure out what do you like to do and are you a single or small group or large group? And then the final thing is recognize what's the magic sweet spot of the minimal amount of exercise that makes you feel better. And this is where you can journal or maybe you look at uh, quality of sleep. Like I tell people, and I admit, I love to move and I am the excessive, although there are people who do more than me. Um, But my idea of a perfect day of movement is an hour and a half to two hours in the woods with my dogs, hiking, doing whatever they want to do, come back, eat some food and go for a two to three hour bike ride in the woods. Hmm. Now, I can't get that every day. If I can get out with my dogs five or six days a week for 40 minutes to an hour and 20 minutes, um, that's a good baseline. Then if I can get two or or if I can get three or four bike rides in, that's even better, along with some strength training, et cetera. Um, And I also recognize that, number one, if I can get out with my dogs, they're happier, they're calmer in the house, they have more fun, and I've never had a walk or or whatever you want to call it, because we go at their pace where it's like, God, I wish I hadn't done that. I feel worse than when I started. Mm -hmm. And I found with the bike riding, because I've got some degenerative joint disease in my back, um, if I can ride three or four days a week for at least an hour, 
my back doesn't hurt as much. So I've kind of got this positive reinforcement that, that, boy, this is this is good for me, but it's taken me. I probably didn't realize it was really important until 2013, 2014. I mean, I just took it for granted. So I think recognizing it's important and then finding that you can do something and finding out what's that sweet spot. Is it three yoga classes a week? If Can I do more? You know, can I do less and make it a priority? You know, a lot of people. It's like, hey, let's meet for drinks, especially now that COVID is air quotes over or whatever you want to do. People are getting out more. You know, let's meet for drinks. When was the last time you said to one of your clients, let's meet and walk? Mm -hmm. It's not exercise. It's walking. Maybe it's walking on a treadmill. Maybe it's we're going to walk two blocks to a cup of coffee. And oftentimes what you find with friends, colleagues, clients, patients, when you're walking or doing some sort of movement, you get a deeper conversation. Because if you're sitting there, either we're doing, I mean, in some cases you have to do a Zoom virtual because that's what it is. But if they're in the same city with you and you're meeting and you're sitting across a desk, or you're sitting across a table at a coffee shop, you know, you're kind of like looking at, okay, so what do you want out of, out of me? Where if it's a more a casual conversation, the conversation, it isn't secondary, but if somebody's nervous about talking about some topics or, or some areas, it's more likely to come out if they're moving because the moving is kind of taking their minds off. Oh my God, Brooke's going to judge me. She's going to look down on me because I say I like to eat uh, six chocolate cakes every Friday night. Right. What about, uh, I have clients, this is a conversation that's common right now. And I'd love to hear your take on this. Clients who live in very cold, snowy places where they're saying, I can't get outside. It's too cold. Sometimes the weather, it's too dangerous to get outside. I don't like moving indoors. What do you recommend to those people where no movement sounds good because they can't do what they like to do? That's, I'll, I'll give a three-part answer to that. Okay. Um, do you know what uh, pogies are for kayaking, biking, and cross-country skiing? No. Pogies are like giant mitts that fit over your handlebars that are insulated. Oh, okay. So currently en route for me from Calgary, Alberta, from a gentleman who makes them are a, a couple of sets of pogies for me and my girlfriend to keep our hands warm while biking. I love following uh, Cold Bikes, which is his company on Facebook, because you'll see him out exercising with ice all over his beard, etc. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be that hardcore, but in very rare conditions, there are some can you say all winter long, it's too cold? You may be inadequately prepared or you may not want to do it. Um, great example, over the Christmas weekend, uh, the Friday before Christmas, 5.30 in the morning when I let the dogs out here in the Pittsburgh area, it was 40 degrees. By three o'clock in the afternoon, it was two degrees. And from then until uh, Monday, it was anywhere between minus five and five degrees, which is very cold for the Pittsburgh area to be that. It may get that cold for a couple hours and then bump back up. Mm. The only day that we didn't take the dogs out for at least a 20-minute walk in the woods to break the wind, which I'll talk more about, was on Friday when the wind chill was minus 25. And I'm like, yeah, I'm <laughs> not going to do that. Saturday, we went out. The wind chill was like minus 20. We went in the woods. We walked, so the wind was behind us, so it wasn't that bad. 
Um, Christmas Day and Monday, we were out for a lot longer. And if you get where you're shielded from the wind or you do your first part of your walk going out and coming back, it's not as cold. So that's number one, you can do that. Number two, you can get things that cover your face to protect the face. Um, when I moved up here from Florida in 2003 or 2004, I grew up in upstate New York, um, spent a lot of time in Kentucky, in Georgia, in Alabama, and in Florida. And when I moved back up here, it literally took me till about 2012 to figure out the clothing to stay warm in the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's icy, they sell ice tracks that go over the shoes. You get a couple of pairs of cross country poles, snowshoeing. You may not go as long, but you can do something outside. Make mm-hmm. snow angels or snowmen with with your your with, with your kids, um, and you may have to supplement it with some sort of indoor movement. But your goal is not to say, "Well, okay, it's cold out, so we'll, we'll poke our heads back outside in the spring." It's figure out things, and this is where the local bike shops, the local outdoor stores, the local running stores. There's probably some crazy person there who goes out no matter what the weather is. And can give you really good advice that these are things that you stay warm. A couple things that I've found, mittens are way better than gloves for me if your hands get cold. Wool is way better than synthetics. Mm. Um, and now it's kind of, you know, this year, I'm saying this semi-jokingly, semi-seriously, it's, uh, it hit about 63 degrees here today. Remember I said over the Christmas weekend, it was yeah. in the negative. Um my dogs are a little irritated because they like the snow. My girlfriend and I bought studded tires for our fat bikes. We bought these pogies and it's 55, 60 degrees. And I'm going, what the heck is going on with this? <laughs> People need to give me money because I have basically made that there's not going to be any winter. So I would I would agree it's not as easy as when it's 65 degrees out and sunny. Um, and you may have to adapt, but it is possible to get outside if you're saying, you know, I want to do this. And if you're saying, you know, I don't really like going to a gym, I, it's difficult. Um, the money that you might spend on a monthly gym membership can go to this various type, types of equipment. The other thing, if you're fortunate enough to live where you can go from your house, you know, walk from your house, um, depending where you are. I've got, I've got a friend of mine who I mentioned who lives in Salida, Colorado. He can basically walk or bike from his house to a 14,000 uh, foot mountain peak and climb up the mountain peak. Wow. Not all of us are that fortunate. But one of the things that if you set things that you can do in your house, in your basement or from your house, it removes a, a barrier to move. Mm-hmm. Because if you say to your husband, yeah, you know, we're going to go to we're going to go to the gym today. I'm going to get up uh, or we're, I'm going to get up tomorrow morning at five o'clock and I'm going to go to the gym. Well, you're halfway to the gym. It's like, crap, I forgot my shoes. Yeah. Crap, I forgot my clothes for work. I forgot my snack. I forgot my breakfast. But if you're moving from the house or you're doing things in the house, you, and notice I'm saying movement and not exercise, and we can talk more about that, it's harder to make the excuse. It becomes more of a lifestyle. You didn't wake up this morning and say, okay, got to go down to the local coffee shop and brush my teeth. You yeah. walked into your bathroom and you brushed your teeth. Yeah, that's a good Similarly, point. Similarly, you you probably, for many of your clients or patients that you work with, uh, with weight loss, you talk to them about easy to prepare home meals. Yeah. It's a lot easier to control what you eat. It's a lot easier to say, I ate breakfast if you have something in your house that you can eat rather than saying, I have to walk or drive or ride my bike someplace to get the food. Mm-hmm. Right. 
my husband's going to listen to this and just laugh really hard at what you just said of me getting up at 5 a.m. and telling him to go to the gym because that would literally never happen. <laughs> and that and that's another thing that you that you have to understand when you start treating movement as a lifestyle. When is the time of day that A, you enjoy exercising and B, you will exercise? Like right. I can promise you that if I wait till five o'clock in the afternoon to take my dogs for a walk or to go for a bike ride or something like that, nine times out of 10, I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm a morning exerciser. I yeah. like doing it in the morning. I have done it in the afternoon. I have done it in the evening. But for me, so it's a lifestyle. Most mornings, that's what I try to do. And that's how I try to schedule it. Yeah. So in your sure. case, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm an afternoon or I'm, a, I'm an evening person. You know, that's, that's one step to identifying this is when it is rather than saying, oh, I can't go to that yoga class. Like when I yeah. see group exercise classes at eight o'clock at night, I'm thinking, holy cow, <laughs> eight o'clock at night, I'm winding down. Right. But I think that's a great point of you've got to figure out what works for you. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong with nutrition or movement is following all these people on social media. And somebody says, oh, here's this 30 day challenge and you have to do it first thing and you have to journal and you have to do, I mean, there's all these external kind of rules or things that people think they should follow at this point. But my husband is a morning person. He goes on a morning walk every day. I never go with him. That, that is his thing. I'm still sleeping. I go at the end of the day. I love getting up first thing, just diving into work, having my coffee, seizing the day and getting all my work done. And then I'm the 4 or 5 p.m. I'm going to go walk. And it's kind of my decompression, relaxation at the end of the day type of person. And sometimes he'll come on that walk too because he is he's very movie. He loves moving all around. He's a walker. He loves doing all the things. And so it's just funny though, because he is more like that and I'm not. And so it's definitely more of a challenge for me and something I'm constantly working at. But I will say becoming more self-aware has been critical because I also know that if I have to drive somewhere and I know there's traffic or it's too far. All of these things, you said that word barrier, or I think of it, I've talked to habit experts of friction, any friction or barriers between you and the thing that are going to allow you to let that excuse seep in, that the excuses then just kind of crop up. So now, you know, I have my weights at home. I have my yoga mat here. I have YouTube videos on my computer. I can walk around the neighborhood. I mean, there's nothing that can really get in the way in terms of the movement. I let that I can still let them try, but I know deep down it's very easy. There's very few barriers to me doing the thing. Um, if I had to drive to a gym or go to a class every day, I guarantee I would come up with and, a reason. And that's not. as you said in social media, you know, especially if you scroll through Twitter or Instagram, you know, so many people are saying, Well, here's the 20 things that I recommend doing for my warning routine. It's Ugh. like, well, you just eliminated 80% of the people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, or yeah, it, what if you're not awake simple. yet? Yeah, and also and also recognize, you know, this this is something. There's a, I, I like to name drop, not because to show people I know, but because I think people who have had an impact, your listeners, my listeners, go and they find it. I've interviewed for one of my podcasts a couple of times, Don Moxley, and you know, Don Don is just he he talks about like with people when they talk about getting fidgety at work or having difficulty concentrating, he says, you know, maybe that's your body saying you need to take a little break and move. And I think that's a, 
a wonderful idea for these little micro movements, you know, taking your phone calls and walking. I'm at a standing desk on an incline board right now. Mm. So if I'm moving, moving around, so I'm not sitting down. The other thing you, you think about, you mentioned with, with the barriers and with the movement, what I mentioned with health, because I think this is something that during the whole period of 2020, 2021 with COVID, you heard, you know, obviously there were some people who had COVID and who had no symptoms. There were other people who had COVID and had severe symptoms. But if you read what all of the experts, the scientists who look at the data, et cetera, predictors for problems, significant problems were obesity, lack of physical activity, you know, heart disease, lung disease, things that by, I'm not going to say correcting, but by changing the way we eat, by changing the way we think about activity as far as sedentary or movement could have a great deal of influence. Mm -hmm. You know, how many people's social life on a Saturday afternoon is to sit down and watch college football because that's what their entire community does. You know, their, their friends do that versus how many, and this is partially where you live, partially the people you surround yourself with, partially maybe there are other people that want to do it, but it's like, God, I don't want to say I want to go for a walk instead of, instead of watching somebody play because Brooke might say something. <laughs> so a lot of times what people don't recognize is by just, if you recognize, hey, I'm an afternoon walker, I walk at five o'clock most, most days, you may have friends in the neighborhood who see you and go, God, look at her. I wish I could be like her. Inviting them for a walk may change their life. Mm -hmm. Inviting them for a walk may change their kids' lives. You know, people are seeing you and what you do and you don't do is creating an influence, not just on your clients, but everybody who comes, comes in and in part with you. I mean, I'm sure people see me with my dogs and go, what the hell is he doing walking his dogs again? I don't care. Mm -hmm. The great story about, or the great thing to think about with movement is, you know, there is with social media, there is that image thing. You know, the thing that looks good is the guy with his shirt off with the ripped abs, the girl with the sports bra and the, and the short shorts and the, you know, the tan and the perfect pose. And it's like, people look at that and I can say, I can never look like that. When you go to the gym or when you walk, nobody cares. Nobody's looking at you and saying, oh, my God, look at Brooke. I can't believe are those are those, are those target leggings that she's using for walking. Great example for this. In 2017, I herniated a disc in my back. Um, and as part of my rehab, I realized that a lot of my action is straight ahead, forward and back. So my side to side stuff sucked and my balance wasn't really good. Mm. Now I'm going to start using a, a balance board and low slack lines. So the best thing for creating a uh, like a low balance beam is a piece of pipe from from one of these big box uh, hardware stores. Well, I didn't know what diameter I needed, so I grabbed my girlfriend and we go to the local big box store. And I'm pulling out these eight foot lengths of pipe, using her shoulder for support and walking along the pipe in the middle of the store to figure out what's the right diameter. She's going, "You can't do this. People are going to see." It's like I don't care. People are pushing their carts by. They don't care. Yeah. So if the barriers, people say, oh, "I can't do it" because people people are going to look at me. So what? Yeah. Be people the crazy care, person. And people care way more about themselves than they do about anybody else, right? Just scroll I, down social media. That's yeah. not me, 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 I, I, I. And then, and then, and that's one of the things where people say, well, where do I find good information on social media? Look for the people who aren't posting me, 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 I, I, I. Look for people who are giving you information and not always about me, 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 I, I, I. Those are the ones that's like, oh, 
I take one piece from this person, one piece from this person, one piece from this person. And that's not going to work for me because I'm not a morning person. You know, that's not going to work for me because there's no way I'm going to meal prep for three days. And before you know it, you've got something that's individual that works for you. Periodically, you bounce it off somebody that you respect who knows somebody or periodically, if it's somebody who works with you, maybe they work with you for a while, they go away and they come back for tune-ups. It's like, you know, this is what I'm seeing and you're able to look at it and say, well, here's why it's happening. Great example of this is I had all these eye problems and my activity was severely curtailed. Then I herniated my disc, recovered from that and repeatedly started having knee problems, ankle problems, et cetera. And one of the gentlemen that I interviewed in uh, for one of my podcasts here in the Pittsburgh area is a chiropractor, athletic trainer, recommended to me by a couple of physical medicine physicians. They interviewed him. I was like, well, I should go probably go see him myself. Hmm. And I see him, I'm actually seeing him tomorrow because he gives me good exercises and good uh, exercise tips and looks at, looks at my form. But the phenomenal thing, like this first session with him, he looks at me, he goes, you know what your problem is, man? I was like, well, yeah, my knee hurts and my ankle hurts. He goes, no. He said, you're training or you're moving like you moved in 2012, but you had all those problems in 2013, 14, 15, 16, 17. Back it off, slowly build it up, and you'll be back to what you were doing in 2012 or more than that. And I walk out the door and I'm going, I'm a dummy. This is what <laughs> I would tell to clients that I work with with personal training. This is tell what I tell people that I give running programs to. And I can't follow my own advice. So that's where it's so valuable to have somebody. And I still see him because I get a benefit of it. But that's the most valuable thing. That was worth the whole visit. It's like, oh, yeah, you're right. I can't go out and run eight miles. Whereas in 2012, that's easy. Right. And, you know, now in 2023, knock on wood, I take his advice. I'm much more conscious of, of what I'm doing. And I gradually built up. But it took somebody to, to look at and not have the emotional component of, hey, I'm a mover, this is what I do, to say, hey, this is what you want to do, this is what you can do right now. And I think that's such a good point where we get in these kind of ruts, and sometimes it's hard to even see it when we're so close to it, but there's an injury or just different stages of life, our movement is going to change. So if we think we have to move the same that we always did, then that's going to be impossible to sustain. And then it's easy just not to do anything because, oh, I can't do what I used to do. So I can't do anything. And this is something that I've had to work on as well. I used to live in New York City. I walked easy 10,000 steps a day. There was a workout studio on every corner. So I had class pass and I would hop around from spin classes to yoga. I mean, it was just very thrilling there because everything was at my fingertips. And I loved walking there because it was so fun. And now that I live in Oakland, I have to change the way I think about walking and it has to be more purposeful. But one of the things I talk about with clients is if you just decide, and I think you would be on board with this, that daily movement is non-negotiable. And that's just something you tell yourself. Daily movement is non-negotiable. And so then the next question is, okay, so how? And it could even be, you know, gardening is moving, vacuuming, running around with your kids it doesn't have to be necessarily what we call exercise. And I know you kind of distinguish between that too, but sometimes exercise feels unattainable or that it's too much, like you have to pick up weights or go to the gym. There are so many different ways you can move that aren't classified as formal exercise, correct? 
Yes. Another name dropper. He's got a podcast out there. You can do it. Dr. Ian Dinekin out of Australia. He's an Irishman who's an Australia sleep researcher. When I interviewed him, he said for him, an hour of movement of day is non-negotiable. Okay. He said, it may be that I'm doing jumping jacks and push-ups and side planks in my hotel room. He said, I may be going to jujitsu. I may be swimming in the ocean. I may be walking. I may be running. But an hour a day for me is non-negotiable. He said, that is not physical. That is for my mental health. Hmm. So I think that's where I mentioned a few minutes ago, figure out what's that threshold of movement that you feel better with. You know, when you go for your walk at the end of the day, what's the minimal amount that's like, okay, this is this was good. And it may be five minutes. It may be 35 minutes. Once you know what that is, that gives you a starting point because now it's a lot easier to say, okay, boy, I really like 50 minutes. But if I do at least 15, I feel much better than if I did nothing. Yeah. Forget the physical aspect, the men, the mental aspect or the decompression that you talked about. And I think I, I love that we say it's it's non-negotiable. I mean, if you are a, a, a type one diabetic and you have to take insulin and you understand the health risks when you don't maintain your blood sugar, using insulin is a non-negotiable. You you do that. You don't say, well, today I'm not going to use insulin. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you are... Uh, somebody who has epilepsy and you know that if you take this particular drug, it controls your seizures. Maybe if you're a kid, you, you say, well, I don't need to do this. But as you get older and hopefully more mature, you say, okay, this is a non-negotiable. I need to need to do this every day. Why don't we do that with movement? Because we know so many, we know so many benefits of it. And it's not just us. If we're trying to talk to adults about this, we've failed kids and people who trained us as kids or worked with us as kids failed because most people don't look at it that way. And I would imagine if it's a rainy day in Oakland and you go out for your walk, some people look at you and go, that woman's crazy. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Just even now thinking, cause when we wrap this up, it'll be about 5 PM my time. And sometimes it's not the safest always walk. I mean, it's safe ish, but there've been mm-hmm. some incidents here and there in our neighborhood, but my husband, we have a rooftop on our apartment building. So sometimes he'll just go up and walk laps up there. So I was already thinking today, I'm going to walk at 5 PM. I'm going to make it work just walking on the rooftop because I know, and I tell myself this and I tell clients, you know, I am not perfect. I work at this too. And I constantly have that refrain going over in my head of Brooke. Okay. Daily movement is non-negotiable. You have to move. You're not going to necessarily feel like walking on the rooftop at 5 p.m. if it's getting dark and it's a little bit cold, but you got to do it. And even like you said, five minutes, that usually just gets you in the door. And if you tell yourself, I like the five minute rule, where if you tell yourself, okay, I can do this for five minutes, usually the five minutes turns into more like 20 minutes because it feels really good. And and I mean, I completely understand the the safety aspect and if the roof is safe, that's going to be better for your mental health to not have to look over your shoulder. And one of the things that can benefit, you know, is there a podcast that you look forward to? Is there a book on tape? It's like, okay, here's this book I really want to listen to, but I'm only going to listen to it when I walk on the rooftop. So then when you get one of those days, it's like, oh, I get to listen to my book or my favorite playlist. Right. No, I think that's so good. I, for a while, stopped going on my walks for a couple of weeks and I just was really dreading it. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. And then I realized I was really bored of all my podcasts. And then I found a new podcast. And then all of a sudden, 
the walks became that much more enjoyable again. So it is unlocking not only how to make the movement easier, but also more enjoyable. I think both are really important. I would love to hear uh, your response to a final question I ask each of my guests, which is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? What it means to me to make the health investment is I want to be, I never want to be put in the situation where I want to do something, but physically I can't. Um, great example or story of that. I had a, a longtime client uh, who was a retired uh, CFO of a large company and had a kidney stone that would not pass, went in for a CAT scan and they discovered stage four lung cancer. This is a gentleman who'd been very active purposely. You know, he would walk to work. He would, he, he enjoyed moving, but he also understood the importance with the, what he had during his job. So, and I remember him telling me, he said, this is going to kill me. He said, I'm going to take every single, you know, radiation and chemo. I'm going to explore all the experimental things. He said, but I know this is going to kill me sooner than later. Um, and he had a couple of things that he wanted to do. One of the things he did every year is he went to a ski area in Colorado in early December. That was his like reset time for the year. The year he was diagnosed, he sent me a, uh, he texted me a picture from him at the top of the mountain. So he was undergoing cancer treatment. He was able to go skiing that one last time. Um, he would come and work with me. Sometimes we just lay on the ground and breathe the days that he would have chemo. It's like, like, I just, I want to do some sense of normalcy. And what I think is why you're making the health investment. And I think I always think of him when people ask me questions like this. Unfortunately, he had a stroke and was put in hospice and had a second stroke and ended up passing um, all of the result of the chemo and the cancer. But the day before he had the second stroke and passed, his wife sent me a video. He had a young granddaughter or grandson that he was pushing them down the hallway of the hospice in a stroller. Mm. The stroller was his walker. And it's like, what kind of a message are you sending to this kid who, when they're old enough to remember and say, hey, I have, you know, I had a grandfather, I never met him and they can pull out and show him this video. I mean, it's, it's making the investment to understand it's not just so you can do what you want to do, but if you have children, friends, uh, you know, loved ones, you, you can be around for them and enjoy what it is because if you're younger brother or younger sister has kids uh, and says, you know, hey, come come, uh, come, take a walk or swing in the swing with them. You've made the investment that you have the stamina or health to be able to do that. Great story in this. My grandmother, um, who died at 102 or 103, uh, wanted to go whitewater rafting when she was 93 or 94. So my dad took her whitewater rafting. Now, only class two, class three here in the East, which is still, if, if you know anything, it's still not a walk in the park. And it was a guided tour. And he made sure that people looked at him and her. He's like, well, how could you do that? What if she's hurt? And she's like, so what? I'm yeah. doing what I want to do. So I think the health investment is you're investing. So you never look at what other people are doing. You never look and say, boy, I wish I could do that. You can, you can do that. And obviously, you will get to a point where you're not able to do that. But the better care you take of yourself through moving and understanding what you put into your body has an effect, the more effect it's going to have not only now, but farther down the line. So that's a mm. kind of an indirect way, way of answering what does health investment mean to me? It reminds me of that quote. I mean, I don't know who said it or I'm going to botch it, but to die 
old as young as possible. Have you heard that? Yeah, and I, I have. And I, another thing to think about uh, with, with the health investment, I mean, you say, you say this and it brings to mind, again, this is Don Moxley made me aware of this, health span versus lifespan. Yeah. Health span is, is having the health so that you can do the things which you want to do so you have a high quality of life. And you would ideally like the health span to match the lifespan. Unfortunately, right. in the U.S., the lifespan typically outlasts the health span, but also typically people do not understand the importance of eating properly most of the time and moving more than they currently do. Mm, for sure. Where can listeners follow and find you and connect with you after hearing you here? The best place to do it, um, although it's all over the place, is Instagram at F-I-T-L-A-B-P-H. The reason I say that is we post our podcast there for both our podcasts, Fit Lab Pittsburgh and Moving to Live. The other thing we do is every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we've been doing this since 2017, we do a one-minute movement tip lifestyle hack video. Oh. Um, it'll be on there. It'll be on YouTube, et cetera. And then every Thursday, well, no, actually every Friday now, we also do a lab lesson, lesson from the Labradors, where the Labradors give you a life lesson, all involving or revolving around uh, movement as a lifestyle, not just an activity. So F-I-T-L-A-B-P-G-H, if you type that into Google, about the first three pages, we'll pull up Fitness Lab Pittsburgh on any of the social medias. And the, video, the videos are there. You can link to them. And it'll take you back to YouTube and you can watch literally going back to 2017. To me, what the neatest thing about that and, and how movement really is part of my life and part of my animal's life is if I'm feeling really nostalgic, I can go back and I can see videos, movement tip lifestyle hack videos with my dog that I mentioned who had epilepsy. Hmm. And every once in a while, they pop up with you know the Facebook memories or something like that. And... It's about the last eight months or so. I had to put her down in 2018. It's about the last eight months or so. I can actually look at them and not tear up because yeah. it's just like, I remember that. So F-I-T-L-A-B-P-G-H, Movement Tip Lifestyle Hack videos and podcasts and just everything promoting movement as a lifestyle, not just an activity. Awesome. Well, I know I will follow along because... I can use those one minute tips for sure. And I'm just very grateful for you sharing all of your wisdom and knowledge with us here today. And I look forward to staying connected. Well, thank you for having me. I always enjoy talking about movement to other people who enjoy a healthy lifestyle. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.